passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're live, everybody. Welcome to the All Out Post Show. I am John Pollock, along with Wei Ting, coming out of AEW's All Out Pay-Per-View, which just wrapped up at something around 4 hours and 45 minutes if you tuned in for the buy-in. And that is tonight's show, which I think, for the sake of consistency, let's just be real, WWE, getting us live a lot damn earlier than AEW did. And... Truth be told, WWE, it was not even a lesson they had to learn once. The second they had to present pay-per-views in these compromised settings, in these less than uh, wonderful atmospheres, they immediately cut down on the show length. And tonight, AEW showed you why. Hello, Way. Hi, John. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I guess... don't want to. I don't want to temper things with uh, my. <laughs> Clear opinion so early on, but I mean, well, listen, the I mean, way. Jesus, this was I, I, a if long anybody, show. if anybody listened to our payback review, I think one of the prevailing, I would say, uh, takes from you was, uh, or both of us was the, our enjoyment of the show because of how I don't know, brief yet, I would say, um, high quality it was overall. So, um, length certainly, um, the length of this show certainly stood out in contrast. We're going to be getting into uh, tonight's show and then opening up the phone lines. So um, I did want to talk about some news off the start, but I feel like there's a lot to get to on this show. Uh, Just real quickly, if you do go over to the site, we did get a statement back from WWE about their uh, third parties um, that they are informing talent that over the next uh, 30 days they have to stop. And this is the statement, uh, much like Disney and Warner Brothers WWE creates, promotes, and invests in its intellectual property, i.e. the stage names of performers like The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, Roman Reigns, Big E, and Braun Strowman. It is the control and exploitation of these characters that allows WWE to drive revenue, which in turn enables the company to compensate performers at the highest levels in the sports entertainment industry. Notwithstanding the contractual language, it is imperative for the success of our company to protect our greatest assets and establish partnerships with third parties on a company-wide basis, rather than at the individual level, which as a result will provide more value for all involved. So they did not specifically answer um, a question I had was, what outlets does this impact? Um, They have not stated that. It seems that there is still a lot of vagueness attached to this way. Uh, You have some performers that we have seen on their various outlets. They've changed to their uh, non-WWE names. And I don't know if that's going to fly or not, if WWE is going to be just cool with everybody continuing under different names. Um, That has not been specifically stated in all this. But what I do gather from this statement is the idea that if WWE wants to make a deal with a TikTok or a Twitch, they want to do it as 
representing their entire roster and not having these side deals that their performers are already engaged with activity on such platforms. Right. And whether or not people use their real names, um, I mean, you know, the big debate amongst all this is how much reach does WWE actually have? Can can they limit a performer from even using their real name if they want to go on Cameo or Twitch? Yes, that's going to be a question that's going to have to be – well, I think it's going to have to be is, – is WWE – to me, it doesn't make sense. If WWE wants this level of control, it's giving them that option of, oh, you can do all of this just under your own names. Uh, it comes down to the fact that if you are working for this company, if they don't want you to be doing this, are you going to be creating that problem for them? And that comes down to what level of leverage you have as a performer. And AJ Styles may have a lot more than, say, a, a Mia Yim, for instance. So I, I think that's going to be the interesting story over the next week is how this develops. Is this going to be mandated by WWE? Are they going to ease and relax some of these restrictions? Um, because, you know, as we have seen, some performers, they can make, you know, a good amount on the side doing these things. Uh, but also it's it it certainly has gotten a lot of attention um, more than I thought it would when when this story broke on Friday. But it's um, to the point that WWE, they did put out a statement addressing it. And I I I wasn't expecting a response, at least this quickly. Yeah, it's a story that I think, um, again, really calls into question, I would say, I, you know, a topic that is very much more well known now of WWE and their kind of independent contractor um, and very controversial relationships that they seem to have with their employees. It's um, it's one that definitely seems like it might break. I mean, it already kind of has broken out of like the wrestling bubble because it is one of a company trying to overexert its its control over you know, employees that it deems to be independent contractors. Yeah. Um, com added that um, Twitch, Cameo, and Pro Wrestling Tees would fall under this edict by the company. Uh, YouTube has not been confirmed if that would also be part of all of this as well. But that was what uh, Mike Johnson reported. And th- this is the big story to be following. And, you know, the rest of the news we'll be getting to uh, – you know, I'm sure we'll discuss Monday night and on the site, but I just thought off the top before we get into All Out, that is one that I think has a lot of interest among people, whether you are a wrestling fan, whether you are a wrestler in WWE, or you were seeking the Democratic nomination for this year's presidential race. Yes. Well, let us move on then to All Out and chat about this show, which we go back to the buy-in way, hosted by Tony Schiavone and Dasha and how much of the the pre-pay-per-view coverage did you catch? Did you catch part one of the red car- carpet special, part two of the red carpet special, the countdown, the buy-in? I, I tuned in at about 6.30, so I tuned into a bit of that red carpet stuff. Um, the red carpet stuff was very much like, uh, I don't know, like just some extra interviews uh, of people coming to the arena. You had a panel of... Uh, I believe it was Dasha and Tony Schiavone essentially kind of chatting up the card. I mean, it was very much more of your kind of kickoff mm-hmm. like type of show. Uh, I tuned in for the buy-in, so I didn't see any of the uh, the preceding uh, coverage. But uh, the buy-in featured uh, a pretty good promo from MJF just hyping up the match with Moxley. And then they did the idea that we were throwing out for Dynamite. They did it here where we heard from 
virtually everybody that was going to be in the casino battle royale cutting their kind of quick 30 second 60 second promos of why they are going to win the battle royal so just putting an emphasis on that match we heard from john moxley and then they got into uh, an an additional match that was added with serpentico taking on joey janella and serpentico was out with his chaos project partner luther and uh, Sonny Kiss was out in Janela's corner. There was a moment in this match where Serpentico was climbing to the top and he was hesitating. And the announcers are, this is Excalibur and Tony Schiavone are stating, oh, this is his trademark double foot stomp. And he hesitated and then he just dropped down. It was like Janela was not far out. He just gave up on the double stomp and then later went for it again. Um, but this time he came off and instead landed on Janela's knees. Uh, Janela hit a Death Valley driver, blue thunder bomb. And then Luther grabbed the legs of Janela. Sonny Kiss took out Luther, and Janela hit a clothesline, elbow off the top to win the match. Eight minutes, three seconds, kicking things off on the buy-in. Wasn't quite sure what was up with that sort of like tease of that dive, and then just doing a bit of like a stomp instead. Um, not really sure. Didn't get much of a reaction either way. So maybe just the start of like an evening of really weird things happening on the show. But otherwise, this was a decent warm-up match. You know, it's a small one for Janela after getting squashed by Jericho on Thursday. It was fine. Didn't make that much of an impression. And now he's off to do a, a Game Changer show in Indianapolis tomorrow afternoon. Oh, wow. Busy. He's a very busy man. Um, why, why don't we use this time to talk about um, the atmosphere for this show? And, you know, in particular, for an AEW pay-per-view that's a big part of it. And we saw how double or nothing went. Uh, this one they had uh, 15% of fans was, was the number that they had said that they were expanding the capacity to. Uh, we also heard that the humidity was just at when the show started with the humidity, it was something like a hundred Fahrenheit is what, what they were. Or, uh, uh, yeah. So it just sounded like it was brutal to be out there, especially early in the show. Yeah. Um, it's something that honestly, you know, watching at home, of course, you can't really understand until you see its effect on the crowd. And certainly, um, you know, towards the beginning of the show, maybe not as not- noticeable, but definitely towards, I would say, two hour mark, um, maybe even before that, very noticeable. And then the three hour mark and then the four hour mark. And then we were getting closer to the five hour mark. It was uh, all-, all those markers you were aware of uh, of the crowd. But I'll, I'll say I think that they're is definitely a lesson to be learned of like this audience it's 15% and it sounds like you're in an outdoor venue with 15% of fans didn't sound like it towards the end um in in terms of the, they were making sound well, I'm saying it sounded like 0% oh okay you thought it was going down well there you go like even uh, I think at the best of times like it's a very subdued crowd uh, noise that you have. And this is going to be the struggle of every company. I don't think there's any great way to replicate a live full packed arena. And that's, that's a big part of a lot of the presentation for all of these companies. It is. Yeah. There's no perfect solution right now. Everybody's trying things to, uh, you know, with um, canned audio, I think seeing this show, definitely you can make the argument that perhaps canned audio would have been better. Alex Reynolds and John Silver of Dark Order took on Private Party. Um, I do like like the small changes we're seeing from Private Party. Like this was very much so less of just doing all their spectacular moves. It was a lot of 
Isaiah Cassidy selling and building up to the hot tag to Mark Quinn. And then they do a lot of their uh, kind of like this was a, a toned down version of what they did with FTR. Uh, Reynolds and Silver, very, very solid team. Uh, this this was fine. Dark Order stopped the silly string, and then Silver spun Quen off his shoulders. We had a couple of near falls here. Uh, they did a sequence ending with a jackknife cover that uh, Quen uh, kicked out from, and then Silver got hit with the gin and juice as Cassidy got the cover. Ten minutes and twenty six seconds. I thought uh, all right. I thought it was a you know really excellent fast paced opener to get into the show. I thought it was better than the prior match. Definitely great ferocity from Silver and Reynolds. Um, I think Private Party are fantastic, but Silver and Reynolds, to me, feel like the hotter act at the moment. They've certainly had a whole lot more airtime on something like a BTE, whereas Private Party, um, they were doing this thing with Matt Hardy, and then it's, that was suddenly dropped, and I don't know really any sort of, sort of story development or character development that these two have been part of lately. So, um, you know, Reynolds and Silver, I think, are an act to be pushed. Um, the thing is, they are sort of like portraying these losers on the team, so... Uh, them losing in this case, it's sort of their gimmick, but I hope they continue to be featured because in ring and out, I think they've been standout talents lately. Then we, uh, Jim Ross came out to end the buy-in and we go into the pay-per-view main show and originally designated for the buy-in, they put this onto the main show, Dr. Britt Baker against Big Swole in the first ever tooth and nail match. So Big Swole appears at the dentist's office. And unlike other, um, uh, well, I'll say some cinematic matches, I won't say all of them, uh, they did have the live commentary over top of this. And this, I thought this was less like of a cinematic match and just this was like an on-location fight that they did inside of a dental office. Big Swole walks into the office and there at the receptionist, uh, the receptionist is Rebel with a mask on and Swole has brought referee Mike Posey with him, with her. And Swole then attacks Rebel with the clipboard. And Baker is like ominously in the back and comes up from behind Big Swole, who does not detect Britt Baker. This was like right out of a campy horror film and broke a framed diploma over Swole's head. And they proceeded to fight outside. Rebel joined in. Baker hit Swole with a DDT on top of the Rolls Royce. And then Swole sent Rebel into the dumpster as the callback to their, their favorite uh, receptacle to utilize their attacks with. Baker then used the crutch and ran back indoors. So inside the, the dental chair, Baker got hold of a power drill, missing Swole and punctured a hole into the chair. Rebel then got a syringe. The announcers suggested that it was full of Novocaine. So Swole took the syringe and injected like a needle, a needle. the needle and injected it into Baker's leg. So the idea was Baker's leg has gone to sleep. Swole hit them both with dirty dancing and then used, I guess, like nitrous oxide on Britt Baker to put her to sleep and pinned her in six minutes. And 17 seconds, and they did have a bell to uh, <laughs> to end this thing and begin the match. Um, I didn't like this at all. 
I, I thought this was a really bad attempt at a... I, I almost feel they did a disservice by labeling it a cinematic match itself because I think this year... They, they didn't... I mean, it was more so Tony Khan, like, saying it on, on their call, and I think he was almost reluctant to use the term cinematic match. It was just, like, the probably the closest thing he had to, like, labeling this thing. I, I just thought this was just... It got really ridiculous at times. I didn't think it was very well put together. It felt very rushed, and uh, I just didn't like it. Um, whether it be the timing of it, I, I don't know if I would have enjoyed this later in the show either. Maybe the buy-in was where this should have been, um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think the placement was going to change my opinion all that much over this. It wouldn't have changed mine either. I mean, if you do have to put it into the category of like cinematic matches, this would certainly be on the bottom end of it. Um, you know, it was involving it, another one that had a dumpster, your favorite. Oh God, no, nothing's touching that. Here's the thing with like these matches, you know, you either have to like, this, I don't this know, company did them. spring stand or a uh, stadium stampede. So, so that's not what was promised here, but that was kind of the level some, of what they've produced in the past. So I am going to compare it to other like on location shoots. You either have to like, I guess, treat them. The thing is, is like I think trying to treat them somewhat seriously is really not the goal either because we've seen that. We've seen like Falls Count Anywhere matches that are just like super serious and they tend to be incredibly dry. Um, you have to like almost really go crazy with them and do things that just simply aren't possible in a typical pro wrestling Falls Count Anywhere match. Like things that are just almost like outer worldly, you know, things that, that take advantage of the multiple camera cuts. And unfortunately, by the end, this just played like a WWE plunder match with with, an, with some attempts at, at humor and some attempts at like some clever stunts um, involving like the needle and like the various, um, what is it, um, diplomas and, and glass cases. Ultimately, a lot of them, a lot of the stunts just simply didn't add up to, to become anything satisfying. Um, some attempts at clever spots, but nothing on the level of, I think, what you saw at a stadium stampede or a boneyard match. Um, it seemed obviously far lesser in terms of production quality as well. I mean, originally this was only destined for, um, a kickoff show. Um, you know, let's also mention that Tony Khan says, you know, she, Britt Baker is still coming off of, uh, two surgeries and this seemed like, um, I don't know, a compromise to get her both on all out as well as, you know, to partake in, in, in a match that she could feasibly do like relatively, I don't know completely um unfortunately it didn't land it did that's as far as i can say i mean some people might just like have lower expectations and enjoyed it for what it was but um i i didn't particularly enjoy it no i thought this was one of the worst things on the show and they just immediately moved on from this i mean it was very notable too like jim ross had a few lines in this but he largely stayed out of this like that was another reason they should have been on the buy-in like this is not what Jim Ross is going to be calling or giving any kind of seriousness to, which it doesn't deserve seriousness either. I mean, they were, I mean, they're, they're using needles on one another. Yeah. I mean, whether or not it was going to be on the buy-in, you know, would have been a boot point, honestly. No, like, it, it didn't really matter to, to me. Like this was not, if when they explained on the call that, you know, there was a strategy of, you know, this, amplifying interest for the last minute to buy the show. I, I don't think this was going to serve that function. So they just immediately it's over and they moved on to the young bucks against Luchasaurus and jungle boy, which 
I mean, made me forget that last match fairly quickly. I thought these four uh, had a tremendous match. Um, I've really enjoyed the Young Bucks just in this week, uh, having that heel edge to them. And you're working against two great baby faces in Luchasaurus and to an even greater extent, uh, Jungle Boy. Uh, Marco Stunt got involved here, yanking Nick Jackson off the apron and... We just had uh, Matt and Nick trying to double-team Luchasaurus, and you heard the audience getting very vocal behind Luchasaurus. Uh, some of the highlights, including uh, Jungle Boy leaping off the back of Luchasaurus onto Nick Jackson on the floor, and then Luchasaurus following with a moonsault off the apron. There was the flying Rana from Jungle Boy uh, that Nick caught and then powerbombed him down onto the edge. Uh, they went for the BTE trigger. Jungle Boy avoided it. Luchasaurus screwed up the Meltzer driver so Jungle Boy could hit his inverted Rana to Matt and lifted him up for a big uh, cutter and near fall for Jungle Boy. And then in the end, Luchasaurus hit a springboard crossbody over the rail onto a bunch of the extras on the floor, and that took him out. Jungle Boy goes for his own springboard into the ring, into a double super kick, or sorry, Matt hits him with the super kick. They follow with a double super kick. Jungle Boy kicks out of all of this, giving him something before the BTE trigger for the Young Bucks to get the cover. 15 minutes and 21 seconds. Um, I thought in terms of what I expected out of it and it reaching it and then some, like, I I thought this was like one of the most satisfying things on the show. I really enjoyed this tag. I agree. I thought... This seemed to me the true opening match of the pay-per-view portion of the show. It was a great return to a more serious, more heelish Young Bucks. Uh, And as always, very fast, very precise action. Jurassic Express, as usual, are really good. Um, It's unfortunate that, like, you know, these two, Jurassic Express as a whole, hasn't really had a storyline in quite a while. I can't even recall really the last storyline they've had. So, you know, a year into it. It's unfortunately a little disappointing that they're still in sort of like these types of roles, you know, basically losing to the Young Bucks on uh, to set them up for a title match, for instance. But I mean, the Young Bucks have kind of played a bit of that role in the past, too. So the priority right now is getting the Young Bucks ready for a title shot and their trajectory towards, uh, you know, the main event scene. So I understand it. But really excellent match. Very high quality. Very exciting. Yeah, I thought this was great. Like, well. I would say like one of the best things on the show was this tag. It really delivered. The Casino Battle Royale. So for those unfamiliar with the rules, we have four groups of five that would enter every three minutes. And then the 21st entrant, the Joker, would be the last one to enter. And Taz came out to sit in on commentary for this match. So our first group had Trent, Christopher Daniels, Jake Hager, The Blade, and Ray Phoenix, who was one of the few that kind of stood out during uh, especially the beginning portion of this match. The second group had Frankie Kazarian, Will Hobbs, who was unannounced, and they gave a big focus to, Chuck Taylor, Ortiz, and Santana. And Ortiz and Santana immediately went for Chuck Taylor, attacking him with the the baton that they used on Wednesday's show, while the Blade and Hobbs uh, started fighting, and Hobbs eliminated the Blade. So there was a big emphasis on Will Hobbs. The third group, Billy Gunn, Penta, L0M, Ricky Starks, Brian Cage, and Darby Allen. And Darby Allen got a great reaction. So that told me that you would be able to hear this crowd. It would just be very few and far between. Uh, but he came out with the skateboard attacking Starks and Cage. And Allen eliminated Phoenix. And then uh, Chuck Taylor was also thrown out in this sequence. 
Final group was Sean Spears, Eddie Kingston, The Butcher, Sonny Kiss, and Lance Archer. Uh, Sean Spears didn't even bother going to the ring. He delayed by going to the commentary team to talk to them. Sonny Kiss eliminated Jake Hager, and then Cage came, dumped out Kiss, and Hager struck Sonny Kiss on the floor. So I could certainly see that match taking place on Dynamite. Trent uh, eliminated Santana. We went through a bunch of eliminations here. And then the Joker entrant is Matt Seidel. Seidel comes down, and he immediately goes for a shooting star press off the top. He slips and just crashes and burns. Uh, This spot looked very scary, but thankfully, um, he didn't, like, rotate and land uh, worse than he did. He he caught himself mid-turn, and and he hung his arm on the rope. Yeah, just... He was very lucky that it wasn't worse. Um, and he continued yeah. the match, but this this just looked frightening. You know, I've seen Matt Seidel do a thousand picture-perfect shooting star presses. Like, he's got one of the best shooting star presses. And Dude, he this... did a shooting star press into an RKO, like one of the most oh beautiful God. sequences in Raw history. You know, this was like, you know, his first time back on, I would say, eh, probably like the biggest stage that he's had in years since leaving the WWE and he had to deliver one right off the gate. And unfortunately this one out of like, you know, 10,000 shooting star presses had to be one where he slipped horribly on TV. Thank God it didn't end up worse. Um, certainly like, you know, people were comparing something like this to like a Shockmaster entrance. I'd like to believe that like wrestling fans are a bit more sympathetic these days. And I personally certainly don't see like AEW holding this against him. I mean, everybody just has, like, you can no, slip at, at any like, time, right? 90% of fans are going to have a lot of sympathy for this. You're always going to get the the idiots who are going to make fun of something like that. But I think most, it's just, it was an unfortunate accident that, thankfully, the guy wasn't hurt. That was my concern. Yeah. Uh, you know, Matt Seidel jumping into this, like, roster, I, I'm actually quite excited by. I mean, clearly put, positioning him in this wildcard spot was supposed to be a big feature for him. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out that way, but I hope it... They AEW continues their plans and, you know, continues to highlight him um, however they were planning on beforehand. So at one point, this was very, this was very weird. All of a sudden you hear like these explosions and they explain like next door, some fireworks are going off. Um, Tony like said it's a game or something. Uh, I, I don't know if any baseballs being, uh, well, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what this was. Tony was saying it is Memorial Day weekend, uh, which it's not, but um, I understood what he was trying to refer to. Um, Cage then all of a sudden like went to attack Starks, and Taz reacted to this. It did not seem like that was the plan. It almost felt like Cage was just in a battle royal and not realizing he just went to strike his teammate. And then Allen eliminates Starks, and Starks pulls Allen to the floor, throwing him into the post, and they bring out a body bag. And every follower of Evolve knew what was coming here. It's the Ethan Page, Darby Allen spot where Darby was placed into the body bag with thumbtacks thrown onto the stage, which I'll at least say was better than when he was thrown out of the ring to the floor. Um, but my God, this was, I guess, the big spot of the Battle Royal, but it also felt like it was, you, you could have forgotten this by 20 minutes later that's the thing i mean seeing him do this body bag thing before it's a horrific spot um looked like an incredibly rough landing uh who knows like what part of his body landed but whatever 
the, but like it, it gets so lost in the shuffle that it's it's just kind of forgotten about by the end. Um, and now everybody in the match has to work with these thumbtacks everywhere. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you don't even get get the pop of seeing the thumbtacks go into Darby Allen. So you know, whatever. This is a guy who jumps off of like bridges for fun on the weekend. Probably nothing to him, but um, they needed something big, I guess, to continue this feud. Uh, Archer and Hobbs had their big face-off, and Hobbs ended up on the apron with Brian Cage, and Archer knocked both of them out. So the final four was Archer, Matt Seidel, The Butcher, and Eddie Kingston. The Butcher is eliminated by Archer. Then Seidel was hit with the blackout, and Kingston knocked Seidel off the apron. So we've got Kingston, who's on the turnbuckle, as Jake is trying to open the snake bag and put it into Kingston's face. And they're trying to explain that Kingston is afraid of snakes. It's just really goofy. And then the butcher tries to get back in and involved. Uh, And so the blade is also back here to help. Kingston bites Archer. Jake is still trying to scare Kingston, and an archer chokeslams Kingston off the turnbuckle onto Butcher and the Blade on the floor, and Lance Archer wins in 21 minutes and 48 seconds. I'm not going to say this was a bad battle royal, but at most, I'm going to say it was average. There was a lot going on here. It just seemed, uh, whether it was in the ring or next door, there was a lot going on here. Um, I have no problem with the winner here with Lance Archer. But it was, um, I, I'm still really not sold way on this casino battle royale concept. I've seen it enough, to- enough times. I'm not crazy about the five entrants at once. And it just seemed, even at 21 minutes, it just felt very rushed. For me, I think it's less of an issue of like how frequent or how often these entrants come in. It, and more so just, it seems like AEW seems to have an issue organizing these battle royals. More often than not, the times that we've seen them, they they've just appeared to be pretty. That's one organized. was at all in. The the all in one was a fantastic battle royal, and I don't think they've ever come close to that one. Yeah, um, certainly, like far from the type of cohesion and like easy to follow narratives you would find in something like a good Royal Rumble. You know, where like throughout the course of the of the whole thing, there's always like a certain thing to focus on, and those are the best ones, of course. But AEW to me has at this point like failed to to prove that they can book something like involving so many bodies at once. Instead, we got something that I felt, you know, like certain parts hit other parts were incredibly messy. What's important by the end is who do you remember coming out of this? You know, Will Hobbs, he got some good time to shine. Uh, He, they, they, they framed a few scenes with him standing toe to toe with their giants in in, uh, Brian Cage and Lance Archer. So I would say this was a good introduction for him. Uh, Sunny Kisses elimination of Jake Hager. If they play it up on uh, Dynamite, I mean, they'll that'll lead to an, a, another match, which is interesting. Um, the body bag stun, of course. You know, I would say overall, like the Giants ended up looking really good in Lance Archer, of course, and also Brian Cage. Um, so for those several people, I thought this was a good battle royal where they gained. Um, unfortunately, the rest really were just bodies, um, and maybe ultimately that's all they were hoping for. You know, highlighting a battle royal that highlighted what, like three, four talents. Yeah, I mean, they they had like their their designated few who were the, yeah the ones you outlined that they tried to have something for. I'm sure they'll they'll follow up on Jake Hager and Sunny Kiss. I think you at least get a TV match from there. The Darby Allen feud continues with Cage and starts and builds up to something. Uh, you've introduced Will Hobbs as you know someone to watch, and 
Yeah, Matt Seidel, um, I, I guess time will tell if he's if he's in, if this was just a, a cameo, um, which in you can do cameos in AEW, so that's good. Hmm. Yeah, like Mercedes Martinez was like one of the Joker roles, and she ended up not signing, so yeah, it's possible. Uh, then we are going to go to maybe the most discussed match of the night. That was the broken rules match between Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara, and we cut to... TIAA Bank Field next door where the Jaguars play. And there's Matt Hardy and he's calling out Sammy Guevara who pulls up in the golf cart and he's trying to run over Matt Hardy. And the match begins. It's pretty much a last man standing match. That's the rules. Hardy hit him with a DDT on top of a table and then they ascended on a forklift. Matt Hardy goes for the side effect. Guevara avoids it. And proceeds to spear Matt off the forklift where they have two tables set up on the concrete floor. There is no padding below this. They have the two tables. And it looked like they went over the first one, crashed through the second, and Matt Hardy's head just nails the floor. It was among the most uncomfortable things you're going to see. Like, just a frightening fall. And... Aubrey Edwards. It was Edward, awful. It, it was, was, awful. It was terrible. Like, how... Yeah. Even in, like, the the catalog of Matt Hardy bumps, in the catalog of TLC bumps, this was one of the worst ones. Um, just seeing a man, like, fall from a certain height, like, onto the back of his head, onto a concrete floor. It was... For the moment it happened, like, I think everybody knew something was up. And so, those tense moments right afterwards were just us simply, you know, first of all, hoping that this man was okay, and secondly seeing how on earth this match was going to continue and whether or not it would have continued. And I think a lot of people hoping that it didn't continue. Yes. Aubrey, like Matt is totally messed up. It's so clear. And Aubrey Edwards knows it. She's starting to count and Hardy literally cannot get to his feet. He so, is because remember the stipulation is if Matt Hardy loses, he is out of AEW. They've got, I mean, if it was another, if it was another match, if it was just a regular match, they could have very well just called it there, but th- th- you could definitely tell there was a state of panic because this was not supposed to be the finish. And, and this, to me, was my biggest problem, is that you're thinking about like a, a, a wrestling stipulation that's like, th- it's mm-hmm. over. It's over at this point. You can rewrite we, anything. We figure out like, this stuff later. Yeah. A stipulation and our integrity to the stipulation doesn't mean anything when we're yeah. talking about a guy that we, we don't know what state he's in other than it's not good. He is... Like, completely staggered and cannot even put his weight underneath him. He's just... Guevara's trying to get him up, and he cannot stand. Edward signals to Doc Sampson to come in, and they just... She puts up the X, and they call it off around four minutes. And Hardy then gets up, and he's yelling for Guevara, and the announcers are just trying to make... Just try to think on the fly to explain that... Hey, he was knocked out and the match is called off. He can't continue. And then they are leaving the area and Guevara... The the cameras stay on him. The cameras stay on him and Guevara attacks Matt and they ring the bell to continue the match. And I just, I hated this, that they they were doing this. They both climb up this stand and... Guevara gets knocked a scaffold. The, the scaffold and Guevara gets knocked off through a stage. Like they just go right to the finish. Edwards counts 10. It's like 212 
of the restart. So Matt Hardy wins this and everyone is just freaking out about what state Matt Hardy's in. How in God's name are you continuing this? And I'll throw it to you in a second way. But as we speak, they're doing the uh, the post show Q&A. And uh, this is from uh, reporter John Alba. Tony Khan says health and safety is foremost. Matt Hardy is okay. Tony stopped the match. The doctor checked on him. The doctor cleared him per protocol, and Matt passed a concussion test. He went to the hospital, but is okay. Tony Khan says Matt did not press Doc Sampson to continue, nor would he listen had he did. Uh, that being, I guess, Doc Sampson would not have listened to him. Um, anyway. Sorry, so he passed the concussion test like there on the spot right after. I, I don't understand how you can just conduct a concussion test like that in the minute. Um but I'm not a doctor. So mm-hmm. I, I don't really care. I just thought that this is th- – there was absolutely no reasoning to continue this after a guy had just fallen like that. And I think honestly it was – this this stunt should not have passed a certain like regular check. Like why were we doing this on a cement floor from that height and not having any kind of gimmick underneath it, it just to me was a very poorly thought out stunt that turned out very badly. Uh, so th- this really turned off many people from the show, and I was certainly out of it during during this period. Yeah, um, certainly I would say um, one of the big stories, if not the big story coming out of the show. Uh, I mean, this feud has really just... This, this has been a disaster, been these two. Every yeah. time it's been something between these two with the, the chair, then Sammy got his head all cut up, and then then this, which you could say was was the worst of the three. And we're talking about like Matt Hardy, who I think has really made a name for himself as a character who hasn't needed to do any of this stuff for the past several years. That was the whole broken for, thing, was like he for, his body like could not be doing all this stuff so regularly that came up with this character that he didn't have to be doing all this stuff. And for whatever reason, like, he, he just decided to, I mean, like, sorry, no pun intended, but, like, dive headfirst into this this resurgence of, like, his TLC days. And the second time I go around, like, I have to say far more reckless, you know? I mean, these things are all accidents, of course. Um, but, man, like, it, it, it certainly reflects poorly upon, like, Sammy Guevara, you know, like, so many instances now of, like, just this very reckless type of like, um, you know, like match. Um, Again, the- like not not speaking from the perspective of, of a worker, though. I just look at that like you're spearing a guy off a forklift onto a table where you're you're not seeing your fall. You're falling from a great height, and you've got no padding underneath. It's like what what was the outcome you were expecting here? Like this had to be something that was. A possibility, and I just, I just thought it was way too uh, reckless. Um, yeah, I, I thought this just uh, a lot of people came off looking poorly here. Just the, the handling of this and, and how this continued, I just thought the the continuation was like the next level of this thing that was terrible. Um, the fact that even if it was the idea to just go right to the finish, your finish involves a concussed man climbing a scaffold. That is insane. That's outrageous. And this is where, like, the production absolutely needed to step in. I mean, uh, man, I, I, I don't know what sort of conversation took place between the, the this Doc Sampson and, and Matt Hardy. But, I you know, just, just as an outsider looking looking in and judging by the, the reaction to the show that I've seen, it made a lot of people really uncomfortable to watch it. So, 
I'm through with like sort of these like stories of like, man, gutsy, what a gutsy performance for Matt Hardy. Like, no, fuck that shit. This was really stupid, and I hated watching it. Yeah, I'm I'm just looking at these notes here uh, again. Yeah, Tony Khan says this is from Ryan Satin. Tony says Matt Hardy came back after the match and passed concussion protocol, and that the trip to the hospital was done as a precaution. It was not something any of us enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. split second decisions. I understand. You know, you're on live TV, but let's get more comfortable, everybody, with the idea that shit can just end. End the fucking show if like something really big happens and we 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 can't continue the show. And, and certainly if it's a match, I don't care if it's a career retirement. I don't care if it's hair versus hair. You can explain your way out of it. You can book this shit and explain what however you want. So to me, that's anyway. It, 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 so many of these. Anytime something like this happens, we try to like reason it as, oh, hey, this is a great learning experience. Hope it doesn't happen again in the future. And it always happens. We give way too much leeway. To these wrestlers to decide their own fate no they they cannot be in those positions where they're and, and i mean to be fair they're saying like this was not matt hardy's he was not professing to continue this match but nonetheless it's like th- finishing the match is not of the utmost importance like we're talking about an age now where your audience knows exactly what's going on and they will be very understanding to a match not concluding and are going to feel better about watching this show where a company is going to step in and be and take more precaution and be safe rather than sorry and not just continue to we've got to finish this match and this outcome is of the utmost importance when it's not and uh Rebby Hardy was furious online um seeing all of this as well and oh, yeah. and, and those around Matt yeah, I could imagine. So that was certainly the low light uh, of this show um, on many levels. And then in the role of following that was Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa. And I think a lot of people were just not into this for the reasons that we just went through. Uh, they had a 17-minute match. Um, I thought both women worked really hard in this. It was it – was they were trying to have like your classic world title match, like involving these two champions – uh, I just didn't think it really was able to escalate to that level for a variety of reasons. And I don't really pin it on the two of them either, but um, they went long. I think people's minds were elsewhere in this. Um, we saw it go back and forth here. Thunder Rosa went for this roundhouse kick that Sheeta stopped and was constantly going for the stretch muffler and trying to get that unsuccessfully. Uh, Rosa sent her out of the ring and hit a Death Valley driver onto the apron and then came off the middle rope with a Meteora uh, then they got into this big striking exchange. It was getting to the next level. Sheeta hit a Falcon Arrow. Rosa kicked out at the count of one. And then Sheeta tried again. There was a roll up. And then Sheeta came back with the stretch muffler, tried to trap the arm, but Rosa still made the rope. And it was Sheeta with her running knee strike, the Tamashii, to pin Thunder Rosa at 16 minutes and 56 seconds to retain the title. I can certainly understand, like, people kind of, like, being sucked out of the action, um, people being distracted by, like, trying to catch up on, like, you know, whether or not Matt Hardy was okay. Um, I I was able to, like, get into it. I, I enjoyed the match. I thought it was probably my match of the evening, even up until this point. These two had a lot of time. I thought they used it pretty well. Like, by the end of it, I felt like they represented two equal high-level champions of their own companies. Um, but, you know, this was a... Um, um, the biggest performance of Thunder Rosa's career, and she really impressed. 
She was able to show off like pretty much like a great deal of her moveset, a great deal of aggression leading this match. Sheeta, I think, continues to show that she's really good in these big matches, uh, big match scenarios. I think they both gained a lot from from this, and I would love to see Thunder Rosa back in AEW. Yeah, um, so I think that Thunder Rosa, I thought she did really great in these two matches that that we've seen her um, in as well. Uh, Alex Marvez spoke with Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford. They're getting married, and this Wednesday on Dynamite, Kip Sabian's going to name his best man, and they're going to get married on Dynamite at a future date. And then at the end, Kip Sabian plugged his Twitch stream, which was funny. With a little crawl on the bottom saying uh, it was approved by AEW. So just a bit of a shot there. Being the elite just seems to write itself these days. I mean, there's certainly a lot of stories, but I mean, this is a week where I don't know if they should be poking fun that much. There's plenty to criticize on their own show. Uh, there was there was plenty of it on this show. Eight-man tag, Brody Lee, Colt Cabana, Stu Grayson, and Evil Uno versus Scorpio Sky, Matt Cardona, Dustin Rhodes, and QT Marshall uh, with Allie and Brandy out with the natural nightmares. Um, they got into this brawl. Uh, Jim Ross was talking about Matt Cardona missing something. It's not his ability, but one day we will see what that one thing is that he's missing. Um, they attacked Marshall for a while, had the heat on him. Eventually, Matt Cardona got in. Uh, Cabana was... Uh, getting into his face. Uh, and then Cabana was like, they were uh, talking on the broadcast that maybe he hurt his nose or something. He was like having a lot of problems after getting struck and then just tagged out, but seemed to be fine. It built up to Dustin Rhodes getting in. He hit a destroyer on Cabana, then walked into a super kick from Brody Lee. Uh, Sky then came in. And this is when Anna Jay gets involved and gets taken out by Brandy Rhodes. And Anna Jay is carried away and this is where Jim Ross uh, utters this line, if Anna Jay had a wardrobe malfunction and said something to the effect of, or pretty much it, saying that he, he wished hoping that she had had. A, yeah. A terrible line. Uh, this should, yeah. like, we have come way, way, way beyond th- this, this kind of uh, one-liner. And, um, and I- Objectification. I, it was just a terrible line to use. I mean, he did apologize for it afterwards, but this is not like, ah, I, I just, I really hate it. That... Well, it's not the first instance of like something like this happening, I suppose. Um, maybe like, anyway, he's of a different era. Uh, that's no excuse, of course. But, um, ah, man. Yeah, it's just, I... it's just not, it's, it's just not necessary and it's not, it's just, you know. For for the performers involved, they they shouldn't have to like have those those lines uh, uttered. So I, I really didn't like that at all. Um, well, he's he's just he's man. How how can you? I'm just trying to think like what you can do to like <laughs> change Jr. Because I feel like inevitably like these things are just like so ingrained that it's you know. He's, he, I, I can tell he's struggling to keep up with like what's okay and what's not okay. And I just, I, I just feel like, you know, you're, you're, go, you're going to still get more instances of things like this. 
Um, the match the match went uh, just over 15 minutes. Um, the end saw uh, Scorpio Sky have a, a big sequence with Stu Grayson. Matt Cardona was in. He hit his radio silence, and then Lee blocked one with a power bomb. Marshall's in. He hit a Tope Con Hero and then called for the Diamond Cutter, but it's blocked by Grayson, who leaped, uh, lifted him up for a power bomb by Evil Uno, then a spinning side slam by Brody Lee, capped off by a top rope splash by Colt Cabana, but Marshall kicked out from it. Lee hit the discus clothesline onto Dustin, and essentially he handed him over to Colt Cabana to finish. He missed a top rope moonsault, and Dustin rolled up Cabana in 1509, and this started the seeds of dissension with Brody Lee, who has always treated Colt Cabana as like the, the prized recruit that he would never treat like John Silver. But here... Brody Lee was furious. It was a huge win for Dustin Rhodes, which would make sense later with the match that they would announce. Um, I just thought at this point, you were really feeling the length of this show and the eight-man tag going so late and it's 15 minutes with the big three matches still to come. Uh, I I think this one went longer than it needed to. I think this could have been your seven, eight-minute match. So, I mean, it it appears that... um... Matt Cardona is still actually not signed by the company, according to uh, the, the current scrum. And this comes from Sean Rossep, where one of the questions or one of the tweets he says was, Tony Khan won't commit to signing Matt Cardona, but says he's been great to work with. He's not signed as of right now, which is definitely interesting. The fact that he was like integrated so heavily into the storyline, getting a match on the show. Um, I was definitely most curious to see how he would do because he certainly had a lot to prove to this audience and whether or not he would, you know, fit in well with this current style. I'll say he came out here full of aggression, full of fire, and with a, a real energy like he knew that he had something to prove. Um, by the end of it, though, unfortunately, like his offense and his moveset is still so incredibly limited and plain compared to like you know, you go from a Pentagon Ray Phoenix match to a Matt, Matt Cardona match. It's just simply not going to, he's not going to look great. Uh, I of, mean, of who shined on the babyface team. He was the fourth. Yeah. Like, unfortunately, like he has always been a wrestler who, I mean, in my opinion, has never really made his name on in-ring ability. It's his ability to get himself over as a personality. And, and which he hasn't been given. I mean, he's been given well, no promo time and any of that stuff. The, that's the unfortunate part throughout this, you know, current AEW run. He hasn't done any, he hasn't got one promo. He might've like done a backstage thing on that countdown show in a clip. But beyond that, like you haven't really gotten to see, to see him, see his best side. I don't necessarily feel like this performance bodes well for him. Um, staying on, you know, um, especially when there's so many other talents out there that you could be bringing in that would be able to not just be, you know, deliver in ring, but also on the microphone as well. But as far as like Matt Cardona goes, like, it, it, it's a little too bad he didn't really get to show maybe more of a unique evolved ver- version of Zack Ryder during these few weeks. Uh, I'll say this. When they did this finish, I thought it was kind of odd that you would have, you know, after such a big angle with Dark Order that the baby faces get the win here. But I can see what they're doing here because after this, they announced that Dustin, because of pin, uh, of getting the win here on Colt Cabana, he gets a TNT title shot against Brody Lee on Wednesday. And they had Tony Schiavone inform Dustin Rhodes of this live on the air. This was like when John Jones beat Ryan Bader and Rogan told him in the octagon that you're getting Mauricio Shogun Hua uh, next month. Um, and Dustin Rhodes just cut like the most incredible babyface promo that, oh, this is 
this is amazing. Uh, and he just says that he's going to do this for Cody. And this is such a big moment and opportunity for him on Wednesday. And he's going to shock everybody on Wednesday. And he's coming for Brody Lee's blood. I just thought Dustin cut a great promo. He was fantastic. Um, like in one go again, like Dustin Rhodes is a guy too, at least on dynamite, you don't see talking all that much lately, but, um, his pro- promo ability still continues to be a, at a level far beyond the vast majority of this very young roster. So, um, showing, showing the, the rookies how it's done. So we go to the AEW tag title match, Kenny Omega and hangman page against FTR. I was like, this had that big match feel during the entrances, you had the sense like this was a really big match that everyone's expectations were very high for. Page insists on starting the match, so Omega tags him in. Uh, he wore tights. He had b- brand new tights. These things looked incredible. With a like cowboy fringe. Uh, we had They worked on Page's ribs early on where Page was thrown into the corner, like under the bottom turnbuckle. And you got the sense he was supposed to slide into the post, but didn't quite do it. So Wheeler, without skipping a beat, just sliding dropkick and dropkicks the ribs. And they just worked over that for a while. Um, Eventually, Omega gets the tag. And early on, they tease the last call, which gets stopped. Um, FTR, if you're just watching all their little tag tricks and stuff, it's it's really fun to get into all of their little things and just how crisp and, and fluid they are. Omega hit a reverse Rana and Tiger Driver 98 that Wheeler kicked out from. But then FTR takes over by attacking Omega's left knee. This includes Harwood applying the inverted figure four and Excalibur's on top of things, calling it back to the gauntlet match where this tapped out Chuck Taylor. I thought Excalibur, he had some flubs throughout Wednesday, but I thought he was great tonight. Like of the three, he was the strongest in the booth tonight. In, in, the, in the women's match, in this, just tying things together, I thought he had a very good show. Yeah, as far as the guy who uh, you know calls the names of the moves and can give you some background on some of these lesser-known talents, he's great. Uh, Page hit a swanton to the floor, then FTR hit the Steinerizer to Omega on the floor, then one to Page inside, and Page comes back and he does the Bandito spot, the moonsault fallaway slam off the top turnbuckle to Cash Wheeler, which... Looked incredible. Wheeler then ducks the last call, and Omega goes for a V-trigger, missing and striking his partner, Hangman Page. Wheeler then chop blocks Omega in the bad knee, and they hit the mind breaker. Page still kicks out, and then it's a spike pile driver that keeps Page down. 29 minutes and 37 seconds they go. Um, I thought technically this was really good, but this was... In front, like in an arena, this would I think this would have been way more appreciated, and people's expectations were very high for this one. That I can understand those that were disappointed with it, but I could still appreciate the match. But this was, um, uh, th- this was not the Revolution tag match, and I think that's what people were. It had to be that level, or else it was not going to meet their expectation level. What did you think? I think they were. Uh, I think the audience was expecting that. Um, certainly going into this, and I think the participants themselves were expecting a reaction like what we had for the Bucks versus Omega Hangman match at Revolution. Uh, unfortunately, what they got by this point in the show was anything but. This was where I certainly really noticed the lack of energy from the crowd. And I'm not just even talking about the fans who paid money to be there, but the the people that were ringside, that were a part of the roster. Um, 
It was very quiet. And for a match that I think was this heavily anticipated, um, that I think a lot of us had built up in our heads as something to really equal, like perhaps what we saw at Revolution, it felt flat. The heat spots felt flat. The comebacks felt flat. And the numerous amount of near falls that just ended up receiving no reaction, um, unfortunately ended up feeling like the match overstayed its welcome. Um, you know, we can blame a whole lot, I, I suppose, on like, you know, proper crowds. Oh, if this was in front of a proper crowd, it would have been different. But I mean, at the same time, there have been plenty of people who have had good matches in front of no crowd at all. So, you know, was it a bad call to like do this long of a match to begin with? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe they didn't expect, you know, the crowd to be this quiet because of humidity or whatever. Um, I can only talk about like my perception of it as I was watching it. I'm like you, John. I can really appreciate the athleticism and the sequence of moves that we got. But as a whole, I found this match exhausting. Yeah, I, I I don't disagree with any of that. I think that it's one that if you like, if you're just paying attention to the wrestling, like I I was able to, and I I, I liked it. I liked the match, but I totally understand like where it. it it didn't reach people's expectations and it did feel like it was exhausting. And I think also psychologically, you also know that you have two really big matches still to come. So it's not even like this is the main event and it's okay. Here's your 30 minutes, but it's the last match of the night. It's you've still got another hour of this show ahead of you. Um, whether you're the viewer at home or you're in this super hot outdoor arena. I mean, that's, regardless i and like the humidity is what it is like that to me is not it's that's that's where There's you're always going to be where you're running the show like that's it like that's yeah. you take the good with the bad it's like to me that's not uh a mulligan you get for you know a poor crowd that's just what it is that's the hand you were dealt today chris jericho and orange cassidy mimosa mayhem match um, the crowd was lively when the bell rang to start this match. Oh, oh, oh. we had some post match here too before. Uh, we oh, that's right, that's it. right. I skipped through. Sorry, the next all of the post match stuff that was quite significant here. So they emphasized the miscommunication spot with Omega and how FTR capitalized. And afterwards, Omega grabs a table and he hints at he's that he's going to attack Page. This is kind of like the reverse of Revolution when Hangman teased. Uh, delivering the buckshot lariat, but opted not to. So Omega throws the table away. And then I didn't think the announcers gave enough credit to this or emphasis on it, but Paige in like his dying breath tries to grab hold of Omega, who just steps aside and lets him plunge onto the mat and falls down. I thought it was like a terrific visual and they're just kind of talking about this. And then Excel was like, yeah, Omega didn't catch him there. And Paige is just left there. And dude, this was a total accident, but it was so amazing. Omega kicks aside one of the fallen beers and the beer splatters all over the camera lens. That's right on the mat. It was cinematography at its finest. It was a really good kick. Oh, it was beautiful. Like he just doused the camera with the beer and Omega leaves while Paige is left in the ring and Omega runs into the young bucks and just tells them, I'm done. I'm done. We're leaving. And Omega walks with them. The bucks just want to talk this out. And Omega is not hearing any of it. He says, it's time for a clean break and says, you're either with me or not. And he gives them this ultimatum. And ultimately 
Omega leaves by himself in the car and the Bucks are left in the middle here. So I guess we're to believe that the the Bucks still want to maintain some kind of they want to rehabilitate this with Hangman Page. He's not dead to them. <laughs> how does that make sense? It doesn't. Um I have no fucking clue how to interpret the heel babyface dynamics in this like elite breakup that they're trying to do, okay? So let's let's roll back. Um Page caused the turn, okay? He interrupted the Young Bucks match, cost the Bucks their match, and we're later led to believe that this was due to his own insecurity of not wanting to face the Bucks again. Was that right? Yes. Okay. The Bucks come out in their match tonight. They're clearly wrestling as heels. You know, they're far more aggressive, and I get it. They're pissed off. They're not so much, you know, bad people, but they're just pissed off. I get it. Okay. But then Kenny, at the end of this match, he he was the one to kick Paige. Or he, he V-triggered Paige, didn't he? Yes. So then why is Kenny pissed off at Paige? Because... Uh, and then why Hangman, is he the Hangman heel? took the pen. That's may, maybe he... I mean, he... Oh, okay. This is All right, fine. It, it's a so, very convoluted story at present. Yes. Okay, but Kenny, Kenny, though, by the end of this, we're supposed to feel like he's the heel. He's about to be the cleaner or whatever, whatever, right? Yeah, he Paige. kept saying, we need a clean break. And he kept saying yeah. clean, like, several times yeah. after this. And meanwhile, Hangman Page, the guy who caused the turn is the sympathetic baby face at the end. So we're supposed to forgive Page because we know that he only attacked the Bucks and gave the Bucks, uh, prevented the Bucks from winning the tag team tournament because he was insecure. And man, everybody's been insecure. Is that it? Like, am I supposed to feel sympathy for him because of that? Unless, unless that is a front for a different reason because hangman has never said that it was an insecurity it was assumed by everybody but hangman so there could be another reason for it the fact that we have to dissect this that much and like last week ftr's story this much i mean i was pretty lenient with it all but seeing how it's all ended it's been a really messy and all over the place story um between ftr and the elite i don't i don't disagree I, I, you know, I'm disappointed because like the, this group has done such good storytelling in the past. I mean, look no further than like what they did with Paige and, and Omega and the Bucks and the Golden Lover storyline. Um, every like or or you know, uh, the what is it? Bullet Club is fine. You know, these guys have been masters at that. Yet, like they get this FTR team coming in, and everybody has like such high expectations that it's really, honestly, turned into a bit of a mess. Yeah, I think this thing really needs to kind of be streamlined and you kind of need to do not a reset on it, but make it much more coherent because it's mm-hmm. all over the place. You don't have part of storytelling is that you're rooting for somebody and you're hoping for a certain outcome. Now, some people, maybe the outcome they're rooting for is a reunion with all of the elite, but that is so convoluted at this point that you don't have any week by week sympathy for any of these people because each one of them has done something that you've will gravely Everybody's disagree with. Everyone's been yeah. an asshole. Um, the, the one being hangman page, perhaps there's something else to the story. Like something is being held over him and that's why he costs the bucks that he was actually, I, I don't know. I'm trying to, uh, th- think this all out, but, um, it, it's very messy. I'm not, I'm not going to disagree at all. It's a very, a convoluted story and one that I, I think they, they seriously need to somewhat um, streamline. Yeah. Then uh, Alex Marvez interviewed Jericho. He said that this is not uh, a program 
This is not a feud. This was an experiment to see if Orange Cassidy could be a main eventer. And I made him a main event draw. And they can all thank me. Tonight, I make main event stars and I end them. And tonight, Orange Cassidy is done. So we had the Mimosa Mayhem match. And the crowd is cheering as the bell rings. And instantly, Jericho hits a code breaker and gets a two count. So they start off. And we've got this giant vat next to the ring of the 500 gallons of orange juice and champagne. These were pretty impressive vats. Um, They were like, you know, wrestling ring height. So they basically like extended the wrestling ring into like these two giant pools. Yeah, this looked like a giant thing of like Sunny D or something. Uh, Something like that. Yeah. Um, You know, this this match, like it was all about um, the teases of falling in and just like the the teeter totter spot. Exactly. Teeter totter spot, like like a battle royal. Exactly. That's that's what this was. Um, Cassidy. Floor is lava. (laughs) Yes. That'll be the next escalation is like uh, boiling hot water. Um, Cassidy hit a Michinoku driver. Jericho kicked out. He hit a stun dog millionaire. I mean, Cassidy showed a lot of fire here. And again, this was late in the show, and they they were struggling. I, I think with, with that, the, with the crowd that were just very tired at this point. Um, Cassidy got a jug of the mimosa and splashed it into Jericho's face to get out of the walls of Jericho. That was impressive. The man who was caught in the walls of Jericho had to shimmy all the way towards the pool. Grab the half-broken champagne glass, scoop Mimosa into the champagne glass, and as Jericho shimmies him back into the middle of the ring, he had to make sure this glass of Mimosa didn't spill enough, and that he still had enough of Mimosa to douse Jericho in the eyes with. It, to me, that was one of the most impressive, impressive things of the entire show. Uh, Cassidy has that awesome form when he hits the orange punch. I mean, this is just... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's like... Uh, it's like that's that's their Air Jordan logo. It's orange. It's the orange Ooh. punch, big punch. Um, that's the Master Watto kick. That is the Master Watto kick. This is a much more successful character over here. Uh, he sent Jericho over. His foot goes into the vat, but they explain your whole body must be doused in the vat. Cassidy does a kip up, run off the buckle, a PK. He looks great here. He comes off the turnbuckle into another code breaker, but he kicks out. Cassidy then is lifted up for like a, a border toss or a splash mountain, but he avoids it. Orange punch. Jericho's holding for all he's worth onto the turnbuckle. And then a second orange punch at Jericho does the nesty plunge into the vat. Uh, just the total great visual. 15 mm-hmm. minutes, three seconds. I kind of felt for these two being this late in the show, but on its own, I, I thought this was a lot of fun. Jericho was great. Uh, it was the perfect finish, and I think they they did a very good job with this. I thought this was one of the better received matches on the show. Not the match of the show, but I, I thought it was one of the stronger points. I agree. I had a positive feeling coming out of this, you know. They I, and in that sense, I thought they overcame you know a pretty difficult crowd here. Um, it's such a ridiculous concept, but I thought they really made it work with I think their you know really great understanding of like these teeter totter types of teases. Great heel work from Chris Jericho controlling the match, both on the inside and the outside. And, of course, relying and framing the whole match for these great babyface comebacks from Orange Cassidy, who's just tremendous in in this underdog role. Um, I wouldn't say that this was the best of their three-match series. Uh, I think the first match is still the best one. 
But as far as like the feat of carrying this Orange Cassidy Chris Jericho feud for three big matches, I mean, clearly they were quite successful. So um, at the end of the feud, you have Orange Cassidy who comes out of this program having added several more layers to his character. Yeah, I'm very curious of where you go after this Jericho program. Like he is poised for something significant after this feud. Certainly. I mean, you know, unfortunately, like your TNT title is kind of being, well, he could challenge Brody Lee, potentially. Um, he could even challenge, in, oh, sorry, not no, not Moxley. Can't he really he should be the FTW champion. Ooh, that's, that's not the most ridiculous idea, actually. The thing is, though, it's like a, a feud with Orange Cassidy requires a tremendous heel to do most of the heavy lifting. Orange Cassidy getting promos cut on him by Taz is not the worst Ooh, thing. You're like, right. It's not Cage battle... cutting the promos, but it's Taz. You lazy dude. fuck. Orange is my color. Oh, dude, that's a that's great. <laughs> this is that that's the feud. No, that's the feud. Easy. Well, listen, him versus Ricky Starks would be tremendous. Like him versus Brian Cage. Yeah, you know what? Maybe maybe do the FTW thing. It's not the worst idea. It's just. It's almost like anything other than one of the two big titles is a step down because you're feuding with Chris Jericho and you've won this feud. Um, mm. I, I don't mind that. It's they've got something in Orange Cassidy, and I, I think you know a lot of credit to to both men, to Jericho and to Cassidy. I mean, he really delivered in this spot, and I think Jericho had a really good uh, series of ideas that you know is. He mentioned, like, they got 14 weeks out of this thing. Like, I can't mm -hmm. imagine that this was anywhere close to that when, you know, this, be like, double or nothing we followed with that Mike Tyson angle. It's like, I'm sure this summer went through many changes uh, when that didn't come together. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a, you know, backup, I, I, I think it was, they definitely, like, were able to be a lot more creative um than usual i think with a concept like this you could tell jericho is like you know outside of this wwe system he's like just like the whole thing the whole all of like japanese wrestling independent wrestling is sort of like his toy box and you could tell he's been like more creative than ever trying to play with like different concepts like an orange cassidy the next pay-per-view will be full gear on on saturday november the 7th two months away yeah, this is usually like the short, the one with like the shortest turnaround, isn't it? Um, yeah. Or is Revolution what? Revolution is usually well, February? It was February this past year. Okay, so maybe the two-month gap, I guess, for all of them. Uh, that, okay. that one was more like three. This one's, this one's two, so this is a ra rather quick turnaround for them. Mm. So our last one was in May. Right, right. Uh, and then this week on Dynamite, what they've announced is Brody Lee, Dustin Rhodes for the TNT title, Kip Sabian naming his best man, and the winner of the next match, the AEW title match, will speak. Uh, and that was John Moxley versus MJF for the AEW championship. And during the entrance, John Moxley comes through the crowd, and some fan went after him, and security had to stop this guy, which, I mean, you should never be going after a wrestler, but in these in this environment, really bad idea. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, good job to the security guard right on top of it. Like I would imagine this person will be banned from future shows, given, given the sensitive nature of crowds and mm -hmm. you're just running up to a guy like that. I mean, they specifically they have a, uh, an entire section to keep the performers and the production away from the fans. So a bad mm -hmm. move if you were that fan. So MJF 
the idea is he is going to out wrestle John Moxley and he is not going to play his game. Um, and this is something I think you can appreciate even from like a real fighting point of view. Like you're, I'm going to fight Damian Maya. I am not going to the ground with this guy. I know that yep. that's not my outcome. So I'm going to make him, he, it's the fight starts standing. And in this case, the fight starts in the ring and that's where he's going to showcase his wrestling. And it would be Moxley's goal to try and get MJF off of his strategy. So MJF is grounding Moxley. He's very cocky. He yells at the crowd, sorry, you're getting wrestling tonight. And then Moxley is able to turn the tables when MJF is in control and he gets so cocky. He goes to the floor and Moxley catapults him into the post and the dude comes up with a gusher coming out of his forehead. Yeah, thankfully this was the only match to involve blood. Um, they learned externally. from Wednesday. Yeah. Moxley catches himself as he goes for the paradigm shift and then stops. And instead, he goes uh, moments later and hits the gotch pile driver and MJF kicks out. Take that, Shingo. And Moxley <laughs> then bites away at his cut. Totally gross. And he, he was really trying to get these people going. And the two are having a very good match. Um, MJF spits into his face, even more gross. Moxley then nearly hits the paradigm shift, but he hesitates again. And MJF is able to capitalize and applies the salt of the earth. Moxley gets out. He's hit with the heat seeker pile driver, kicks out. And then Moxley stops another heat seeker, hits an air raid crash. MJF goes to the eye with a thumb and then... MJF, right out of the, the total Toriano spot, he grabs the referee, low blows John, and then goes for the roll-up. Uh, Moxley kicks out, and in the closing sequence, Wardlow tries to distract the referee and tosses the ring, the dynamite diamond ring, which MJF doesn't catch. And with the referee distracted with Wardlow, Moxley hits the paradigm shift. The referee turns around, counts three, and Moxley retains the title in 23 minutes and 42 seconds. But they really put over, especially Jim Ross, of MJF bringing the fight to John Moxley and putting over like this guy really was uh, a challenger for, for Moxley. And Moxley had to pretty much cheat to keep the title. I enjoyed this match a lot. You know, uh, and again, all the matches on the latter half of this card really had to struggle with, with mm -hmm. the, the atmosphere. But despite that, this I enjoyed came this through. a lot. Yeah. I thought they told a good story with with Moxley's arm, uh, with each of them having sort of like home field advantage in ring and outside of the ring. Uh, you know, the story of Moxley being unable to use the paradigm shift, I thought was well integrated. I I thought the finish was very clever. And I think is, you know, you don't often see a baby face cheating to win. But in this case, it was justified because it was a heel in Wardlow trying to distract the referee and it backfired on the, on the heel. So I could see them like building to a rematch based off of, I guess that level of controversy. Um, but I thought it was very clever, uh, the way they not only built up the contract stipulation, but also, uh, the execution of it in the match. I think, you know, um, the near falls, unfortunately weren't being reacted to the way they were designed, but overall I thought, thought it was a very well worked, very physical, very well told story. I liked it. It leaves MJF with with a lot of ammunition coming out of this for promos, and it doesn't to me like really affect John Moxley. It's like, ah, I'm I'm I will do anything to keep this title and tough shit. Um, it's a rematch you can come back with. Although 
at the end of this, they were heavily pushing that Lance Archer is next in line for Moxley, which um, do you see that being TV? Do you see any way that that is, you know, we're, we're only two months away from all uh, from full gear. Could you see that being extended? No, I think I think that's almost a little too long. Uh, I imagine you'll probably get a TV title defense from Moxley um, at some point in, in the next two months, because I think Archer versus Moxley is a relatively big match. I don't really see it being a pay-per-view level match, whereas I think a rematch with MJF could be, or an MJF, or sorry, or like a Moxley versus uh, somebody else, like a Kenny Omega or a Hangman Page or something like that. I don't necessarily, I think Lance Archer is like, I, I, I kind of put him more towards sort of like a Brian Cage level type of like, you know, maybe higher than Brian Cage, but he still, I think, has room to grow. But up for a TV main event, I think he's perfect. What about eight weeks of Jake promos with Moxley? Um, that could be very great. Hey, or John, it could be John, you're just a, now, you're just a squirrel. <laughs> are they in the ring together, or, or will these be pre-tapes? I think pre-tapes with Jake would be best. Um, yeah. yeah. So listen, this, this show had a, had a lot of issues, a lot of problems, uh, some things I was very upset about uh, at different times. Um, I will say that of the AEW pay-per-views, I think this was the worst. Um, I I agree. Do you go thumbs down or do you go thumbs in the middle? I'm I'm almost in like this area between the two. Like I yeah. I can't fully say thumbs down, but thumbs in the middle. And granted, I when when I kind of say these, it's like I'm grading these on the scale of where I see an AEW show. And to me, mm-hmm. um, if I'm just looking, if I'm comparing this with AEW as like the barometer of up down in the middle, then this would be at the bottom. Like this was. Uh, to me, it was way, way too long of a show, and I hope they learned that lesson, that in this environment, doing a four-and-a-half-plus-hour show, it's too long, and it was um, – that that definitely hurt it. But there were other factors as well. I, I can't just say the length <laughs> was what hurt this show. I mean, a year ago, we were probably commending them for, oh, this show is only four-and-a-half hours? Damn. We saved, like, two hours. Like, SummerSlam would have been seven hours, right? So I'll say for it, for all the stuff about time. empty atmospheres, like it is not a problem for me with the UFC cards, but for wrestling, it it's it's a major wrestling's very different uh, deal. Wrestling is is more like I think it's it has even more in common with like stand up comedy than it does like an yeah. MMA fight. You know, like you can watch an MMA fight on mute and and still be able to enjoy it, but wrestling is geared around crowd reactions and even something I you know relatively unforeseen like. Uh, humidity affecting a show um it has a huge effect so i can't really like if we're not necessarily talking about like the output of the wrestlers in the ring i really enjoyed the main event i enjoyed the mimosa match um i think if i was just to look at it as a t- athletic contest i think i would have enjoyed the the tag team match a bit more uh Sheeta versus thunder rosa was a match i i thought was a was another standout match but man the low lights on the show were very kind of like um unexpected stuff i would that say takes you out of a show yeah unexpected for a for an aw event and and that's primarily what happened with sammy Guevara versus matt hardy um you know you have if you're going to criticize the bulk of this show you have to criticize i would say a pretty disappointing cinematic match between what is it um uh baker, and, baker swole. and swole um battle royal i thought was just kind of okay um a lot of messiness and yeah, overall, like 
I would definitely say it was a disappointing show considering like the level of quality of dynamites lately. You would expect the pay-per-view to be, you know, even beyond what you see on TV. And unfortunately you come out of the show, um, definitely looking at a show that was far from perfect and maybe even far from good at points. Yeah. Uh, you know, this show, to me, it was really weighted heavily on those final three matches. And I can't say that those were, like, the tag match, I think people were disappointed with, and I can get that. Like, I, I still could appreciate the match, but yeah, it was below expectations. The last two matches, I really didn't have too much to criticize over. I thought they were where I wanted it to be. For some, I would think, like, Moxley and MJF was better than people thought it was going to be. It was a really good performance yeah. from MJF. Like he mm-hmm. felt like a main event heel. Everyone knows Moxley is is in that role, but you you do have a new main event guy in MJF. I don't think the loss affects him. I think that it's it's really good for him. And yeah, so I would say it, the, the last two matches, especially that at least you ended the show on a more positive note. But we're talking about the show as a whole, and it was. I think I'm thinking more like thumbs in the middle, but it was me too. I did put a poll out on Twitter and I got 676 votes. 44.2% of you said in the middle, 31.4% thumbs down. 24.4 did say thumbs up. I definitely cannot go thumbs up on this show. Very interesting. Well, uh, I would say the only rating that matters is the one from forum.postwrestling.com. So we see what you guys voted. And hey, what, what's 10, your prediction? Or have you already looked? Okay, I haven't. Uh, my prediction, man. Well, I have to remember. Okay, typically dynamites get what like somewhere in the seven, seven point, to eight, seven range. Yeah, seven to eight. This, I'm going to say, judging by the reaction, I'm going to say 6.2. I'm going to say in between five and six. Okay, 5.23. You're right. Yeah, that's that's a very know. bad rating for an AEW show that's on the lower end. Uh, hey, phone lines are open right now. I know a lot of you guys will probably have a lot to uh, say about this show. Uh, so call us, Skype us, look for Post Wrestling, or call us, one seven three two eight hundred forty four twenty three. Always a good sign when we have that uh, that uh, notification on the feedback of, we haven't heard from this person for a while, and they've checked in with this show. Um, but a regular is Bruce from Vancouver, and he starts us off. There was a lot to like about the components of this show, but the sequencing and pacing of it, not to mention the looming cloud of Hardy's injury, just didn't put things in the best light. Starting with a frankly insulting cinematic match was a bad move, and while the women's title match was fantastic, it was difficult to focus on while everyone was worried about Hardy. I'm still enjoying the slow and subtle shifts in the ongoing FTR Omega page drama, whereas I think the Mimosa match proved that Cassidy and Jericho have been suffering from diminishing returns since the debate. I got a kick out of the finish of the main event. It keeps Moxley established as a savvy badass who can outmaneuver heels. Lastly, it's sure to be forgotten by most, but John Silver deserves kudos for bringing his working boots to the buy-in match. I agree there. He's been a great uh, breakout star over, you know, especially on Mm -hmm. on BTE, but it's, you know, good for those guys. Uh, You know, again, I really enjoy the fact that, like, despite him being kind of portrayed as, like, the the joke of of the entire show and and the faction, um, in ring, like, they're letting him go. Like, they let him wrestle. You know, imagine, like, Jake Drake Maverick when he was doing the peeing thing for AOP, uh, but in ring, like, still being allowed to wrestle, like, you know, uh, like, the full ability to his full abilities. Um, That's what I like about him. Did you say Drake doing the, the pee thing? 
Drake, yeah, Drake Maverick. Oh, I heard you say Jake doing the peeing thing, and I was uh, no. I was starting to think of Heroes of Wrestling or something, and I was I, no, I, I, no, I misheard. No. Okay, hey, let's go to our first phone call. Uh, MJ from MJ, you're on the line. Hey guys, how you doing? We're hey, doing what's good. up, man? Hey, um, so I gave a lot of comments and feedback on the uh, up next uh, watch along, which was a lot of fun tonight. But I figured since I'm uh, now deemed to be the uh, post mark for AEW, uh, I actually was critical of this show, and I think that this puts in doubt whether or not AEW pay per views are like must watch events, which up until tonight they had been. Um, I also think that they were missing the biggest ingredient, and that was the crowd. Uh, mm-hmm. If I think back to Double or Nothing, that was largely saved by the stadium stampede. And I really uh, am questioning how well these matches get over without the crowd, which thinking back to Revolution, like that's a huge part of what made that show and, and last year's events uh, so great. So so MJ, I mean, you know, it's been several weeks where they've had a partial capacity. And I, I don't know about you, but I think the first week that we had like 10 percent crowds to me, it made a difference. I could actually hear them. Um, what do you think is contributing to like what we saw tonight where you could almost not hear them at all? Um, I, I buy into the heat thing. You know, I just spent three months in Florida and like the heat thing's real, um, particularly if they are all wearing masks. And, uh, I even thought the commentators seemed a little fatigued at the end, uh, just, you know, being out there. Uh, the other thing is I think expectation, like I had really high expectations for the tag match and, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like false finishes that you're just used to the crowds for AEW being so into. Um, even the same stuff with the Orange Cassidy and Jericho. Like after a few of those teeter tower spots, it's like uh, okay, I'm used to the crowd being so involved. And maybe compared to Dynamite, where there's not the same expectation, uh, we just felt it more tonight. Um, I'd be curious if that was like more of a, a psychological thing with just this being a pay per view. Certainly, like, Double or Nothing was booked with no crowd, no audience in mind. Whereas I think AEW, you know, with 15% people there, were booking the show as if audience is back, we're back to full capacity, you know? Like, the the way a lot of these matches were structured seemed to indicate that to me. Yeah, and throwing that uh, the the dentist office match in at the beginning, like, I think that just set the show off on a really weird foot. Um, If the opening match is the Bucks and... Uh, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, like maybe that's a hotter start to the show and things feel like they're a little bit more energetic, whereas we kind of were just starting on a very flat note. Um, if I could throw one more thing in on booking just with the Elite, because you guys know I'm a mm-hmm. very, sure. very uh, starched being the Elite fan. I feel as if they have almost um, booked themselves with such a relatable, real story of friends that are going through like this weird time in their four year friendship that as fans of wrestling, there is no clear heel in babyface in the matches. And maybe the feud is starting to fall victim to, okay, we get this story. We understand motivations for why friends are doing this to each other. But from a wrestling context, like who are we supposed to root for? I mean, at the end of the day, this is wrestling and they need heels and baby faces. And maybe they've gone a little too uh, deep into the, the woods with the story time. The storytelling. I, I don't disagree with that. I think sometimes you can outthink yourself when it comes to, you know, subtleties. And, you know, at, at the at one hand, it's, you know, believing in your, your audience is going to have the same vision as you. But that's not always going to be the case. And if this were real life and 
these were my friends, I'd just be putting my hands in the air and just walking away from all of this. You need to have um, – you need to be able to explain this storyline to someone in a sentence or two for someone that's never watched any of this. And that's always, I think, a good rule to have when it comes to storylines, that you have to be able to explain it. And this one would take uh, several paragraphs. In the wrestling context, I agree. But, John, like what you just said, if these were like if this was real life and these are your friends, you'd be walking away from it with your hands in the air. That's kind of what Kenny and the Bucks have done tonight. Like they just kind of no one knows what to do. Um, maybe it's a little too real, too inside. Um, perhaps we'll see. Um, yeah. Anyway, guys, uh, it's late, so like bless you guys for doing this show and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, uh, Andrew. Talk to you soon. Thank be well. You. Thanks, Andrew. All right, let's continue here with the saucy Duke who says, I was super disappointed with how AEW handled the Man Hardy situation tonight. It's all well and good having Kip Sabian making a cute twitch jab, but they should get off their high horse if they're going to let their wrestlers finish matches when they're clearly injured. They really made Tony Schiavone look like an idiot on commentary and made their medical team look incompetent and negligent as a result. It really soured me on the actual wrestling, which is a shame. Regardless, the show felt really flat and was way too long, so even when the action was solid like the women's title match, I just couldn't get into it. There wasn't any big sing- big angles either. The show is newsworthy for all the wrong reasons. Fingers crossed Matt is okay. Payback kicked the crap out of All Out. That was another thing. If you missed tonight's show, like what would you be kicking yourself for missing tonight? And I don't even mean that as a knock um, on, on any of the wrestling. Like There was some good wrestling on this show, but you know... When you're doing four pay-per-views a year, you have to go in there, and it's not just great wrestling matches. It's also having some, whether it's a surprise here and there, and I wouldn't qualify Matt Seidel as that oh-my-God moment, but no, having big news items as well that, you know, you come out of it, and it just it's that extra oomph coming out of a pay-per-view where you've announced a bunch of stuff, and there's maybe a big angle shot. Uh, to me, it was like... You really didn't hit any of that. It was the culmination of several programs, but this was a show that if you missed it and based on the reviews that the wrestling wasn't anything like to absolutely plop down your money to get the replay, it's it's one that you missed and I don't know if you're regretting it the next day. I think I think the intent of every show is to like, you know, have matches that end up being can't miss. Like and certainly, you know, an FTR versus Omega and, and Page match was probably destined to like be that match that oh my god Matt, one of the matches of the year you had to have seen um you know uh, I, I was really expecting a title change too in the main event for that very reason you know because i know aw likes to like do something like really significant and buzzworthy maybe to come out of a show i expected the title change we didn't get that but nonetheless like i think they were hanging their hat on like this being a show full of like great matches um the ftr um title change and ultimately i just felt like they were trying their best to like you know have the best type of show that they could and uh unfortunately today's was a case where they to a lot of people missed that mark all right let's go back to feedback here gerard says this was the worst aew pay-per-view so far um Matt Seidel botching that shooting star press hardly looks that bad in hindsight. The match in the dentist office was something that AEW booked themselves into because they expected Baker to be back in time for this show. 
Hardy versus Guevara, where do I start? I even had people messaging me asking if this was all a work because the match was allowed to go on. What a mess. Aubrey Edwards did her job, but this is on Dr. Sampson and Tony Khan for letting it go on. FTR got exposed big time. Their Southern tag title, their Southern tag style needs a full crowd to make noise. I didn't think they looked that good either from a technical standpoint, though I thought Omega and Paige tried. All right, let's go back to the phone lines. Hansi, you're on the line. Please unmute yourself. What's going on, guys? Uh, I thought the um, I, I, it wasn't my favorite. I was hoping that, like, uh, at the part where Thunder Rosa and uh, Sheeta were, you know, positioned, I thought going forward, I thought maybe they just had a one bad hour and I thought it was going to pick up. But I don't know. I wasn't really, I guess, other than the Bucks and Jurassic Express, the Thunder Rosa and uh, Sheeta and... Uh, the tag, I like. I actually like the tag match. Uh, the the one with Paige and Omega. I I know it was slower than usual. I I know it, it kind of fell out. It, it kind of like fell out of favor. But I thought I picked up. But then the main event was pretty good. I think I, I didn't expect MJF to win, but I thought this was gonna be like his moment where like you know that he's now a main eventer. Like even though he didn't win, he like you know he 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 put. He like you know stood up to Moxley and all that. I thought it was kind of a a, a weak finish where he did end up using. I, I was hoping that Moxley, because Moxley is normally good at coming up with creative stuff. I was hoping that he would come up with something more creative than like you know doing it behind the referee's back. But uh, and that's basically my opinion on it. And and before I go, uh, I I want to get your opinion. If you guys uh, saw uh, Talking Smack, did you guys see Cesaro's uh, thing? Because I thought it was. Uh, it was really calm. It wasn't like, you know, expl- explosion worthy, but like it, it was like him addressing him not being in the main event. And he is actually the most interesting guy I've heard Cesaro be in, in quite some time. I just thought it, if it's not too late to give your thoughts on that, if you saw that or not, I, I haven't seen it. Me neither, unfortunately, but uh, thanks for the heads up. I'll, I'll take a watch. Thanks, Hansi. All right, we continue here. Oh, uh, sorry. Is this uh, me? This yes, is me. Sir. We got a Luke from Quebec who says, I feel so horrible for Matt Seidel. Just the absolute worst moment for a botch like that. I think the commentary tonight was pretty bad, even disregarding the creepy line by JR about Anna J. I feel they often drop the ball getting the storyline across, especially in that segment between Paige and Omega at the end. I look forward to a solid singles run for Omega while he is still in his prime. This whole company could be built around him as champion, and I hope we get to see it. Can't say the atmosphere was great tonight, but the crowd is small, the show is long, and the arena is hot, so can't really complain. As a side note, why is the AEW women's title so laughably small? That's something WWE does better better in having identical belts for both genders. Six dental degrees out of ten. <laughs> okay, um, if we're arguing about the size of the titles, I, I think we're really getting into the weeds on that one. I, I think like the, the title is a bit of a throwback to like the women's championships of like, you know, prior um, generations. Uh, that's, I think, what they're going for rather than, you know, an attempt at making it seem insignificant or anything like that. Uh, Paul from New Jersey. Horrible show. I like the women's match. The highlights were Penelope and Kip sign, as well as the absolute phenomenal job by John Ceno, B, and MJ on the watch along. Happy birthday, Bray D. I think he means Davey, but nonetheless. Yeah. Well, John and I did actually um, hang out with uh, Brayden and Davey this afternoon at uh, in the park for Bray- uh, Davey's birthday. Um, it was nice to see you again, John, after like six months. It was, yes. I recognized you, uh, said hello. 
It was great to see all of you. Yes, yes, it was nice. Uh, while we can, at least. And maybe, understand, maybe uh, even a barbecue at your place. Not might be. Future. That's the rumor, yes. Ooh, okay. Uh, we got a Kenny who says, I enjoyed a lot of the show tonight and certainly feel like I got my $50 worth. I bought this pay-per-view for one match, the tag title match. And while it didn't live up to the hype, I'm not sure how it could have. Still a very strong match with four, four awesome wrestlers. The buy-in tag match, the Bucks match, and the women's match were also very good to great. In particular, I thought Luchasaurus had a great night when usually I feel like he's moving in slow motion. That said, I can't help but feel like the show will be remembered for the negatives rather than the positives. The Baker Swole match was embarrassing and a really weird choice for a, for an opener. Man. It was bad. <laughs> Just the whole saga. I, I really Well, no. The, the, oh. the whole saga of like it not being on the buy-in or, or it being on the buy-in to not being on the buy-in and then like the fallout afterwards, people complaining that it, it, this was a bad opener, like... It's just very fascinating to me. Um, he says the battle royal was fine, but very predictable and never got to that next level. And of course, Sammy and Hardy had no business being finishing that match. Overall, I feel like I got, like I got my money's worth, but I doubt this is a show I'll ever want to rewatch. Stevie from Toronto. The first two matches on this card almost had me regretting spending the fifty four ninety nine Canadian to purchase this on fight. It did get much better, thankfully. The Thunder Rosa-Shida match was one of the best matches I have watched since Omega and Okada. I really hope they're able to work a deal with Billy Corrigan and bring, Th- bring Thunder Rosa in full-time. Also, was I the only person who thought that JR was taking a lot of shots at Matt Cardona throughout the eight-man match? I really expected more from this, and the Nightmare family was somewhat disappointing in their storytelling. However, the Dark Order's performances were all great. I'm a fan of the team, I'm a, I'm truly a fan of this team. FTR showed why they are the best team in the world, and I'm very excited for all the matchups we'll see uh, challenging the champs for what I see as a very long tag title reign and gives the show a 7 out of 10. Who could have expected coming off of a pay-per-view um, that Dark Order would be receiving praise and the Elite would be receiving criticism? Not the Bucks tonight. Their, their match was very good. Not the Bucks. Not the Bucks. I guess Omega and Page. Um, how interesting. Well, we go to Noah from Vaughn who says, of course, the Matt Hardy stuff was very unfortunate. And like you always say, John, I'd rather them stop the match in that situation. Matt Hardy's run in AEW has definitely been ashamed to see all the misfortune that's happened to him. Besides that, I thought everyone on the show worked their absolute hardest, but I think the atmosphere really hurt the show. The 80% humidity and 34 degree weather seemed to kill the crowd and tired out the wrestlers. I did really enjoy most of the matches and thought the main event was better. The, th- the, was was the third best pay-per-view main event they've had behind the Stampede in the unsanctioned match from Full Gear. Uh, 7.75 out of 10. Uh, Cash, the main event really saved the show. Moxley and MJF deserve all the praise that will be heaped upon them. The lack of atmosphere really took away my enjoyment. Weird to say, but had this been in the Thunderdome, it could have been great. 6 out of 10. Interesting. Uh, JT says, this is an average show. Nothing close to great, and everything was soured by seeing Man Hardy taking a bump he shouldn't. And lying there, obviously unconscious for far too long, while Aubrey threw up the X and left to deal with it on her own. The match should have been called off and never restarted. That was disgusting and completely ruined the women's title match that I was so pumped up for before the show started. Everything was way too long, too. No need for matches of that length at all. Every single match would have benefited from being five minutes shorter. Okay, Ben from Vancouver. I'm a huge AEW fan, but this was definitely their worst pay-per-view so far. Baker and Swole was a bad decision uh, opening with that, and the Battle Royal was a mess. Hardy and Guevara was a total disaster. Did Hardy not want to listen to Aubrey? That was embarrassing. The match should have been stopped. FTR, Omega, and Hangman was extremely disappointing. I have no idea how we're supposed to feel after Omega left in a car. 
Uh, Rose and Cheetah and Jericho, Orange Cassidy were both good, and the main event was great, but the show overall was disappointing. AEW has to put together better shows if they want to charge $50. Five out of ten. You know, um, like, the price tag, like, definitely brings about an interesting question of whether or not they can do a two-hour, two 45-minute show. Like, when you're paying that amount, is the expectation that you have to deliver a longer, more substantial show? I, I think if you deliver a real kick-ass two-hour and 45-minute show, I, like, that, that to me is what most people associate as a, a, the length of a pay-per-view. And once you're going past that, and granted, we are in, including, like, the even if you take out the buy-in, it's, that's still a three-hour and 45-minute show that they presented to you tonight, um, which to me is just in... I, I think that if you give people a solid show, um, I, I've, I don't think you would have had those complaints, um, even with the price tag. All right, we got a Sean from Toronto who says it was a solid show, but I fear that all anyone will remember is the PR nightmare surrounding Matt Hardy's injury. With the reports of him going to the hospital and angry tweets by Rebby, you have to feel bad for Tony Schiavone, who had to relay updates twice that AEW was not ignoring a concussion. That's it. The match should have ended with the stoppage storyline. Be damned. Yeah. I mean, all we can say is like what was said afterwards that they, they checked on him. They didn't believe he had a concussion and he was just taken to the hospital as a precaution. But I I think it, it was really came off badly. Uh, Let's jump into the phone lines very quickly. We have a couple calls left. Uh, Let's go to the caller at area code eight, four, seven. What's on your mind? Hey guys, this is Dan from Chicago. How's it, how's it going? Hey Dan. Hey Dan. Uh, I'm doing good. Um, I thought it was an up and down show. Um, mm-hmm. I thought with the uh, Matt Hardy and um, uh, Sammy Guevara thing, like, yeah, what what happened and folded was bad. But I didn't understand why they were going backstage uh, after they already did that Dennis match to open the show. I don't understand, like, they're in front of a live crowd and they decide to do a match backstage where the crowd can't see them or you can't hear them as good. I mean, I it, was supposed like, to, yeah. it was supposed to end in, in, in the arena. Um, right. But I guess they just wanted something different. I mean, it was supposed to be, like, a last man standing, you know. They probably had a lot of stunts pan- planned backstage. And just maybe with Matt Hardy and uh, Sammy. I mean, Sammy's 25 and Matt's probably 45 or 46, like when they're booking these older talents, like I, I just don't think they need to be doing stuff like this and they need to keep in mind how many concussions and bad bumps people like that have taken before. And somebody needs to step in and, you know, everything that unfolded was bad, but the fact that they tried that in the first place, it was just like, it's kind of unexcusable to be doing reckless stuff like that, especially with an older guy that's been really banged up over the years. Yeah, I mean, I just hated the stunt. I thought it was like a really bad idea to even try this, that I don't know what executing, like to me, there was like way too much of a margin for error. And we had a really scary situation on a pay-per-view. And yeah, you are talking about a performer that, you know, does have a lot of mileage on him in in Matt Hardy on top of it. But that's, um, it. yeah, it, it was just a mess. Thank you very much for the call. Much appreciated. Um, let's end the show here off with our favorite caller. Oh dear. Brandon from New Jersey. You are on the air. Please unmute yourself. If you could figure out how, if you're even awake, he's probably out cold. Oh, he's been waiting on the line for a long time. So 
We might have lost him. Hello, hello. Oh, hello? he made it. Damn it. <laughs> I was fumbling my phone. <laughs> I was like, "Shit, what he's gonna hang up on?" <laughs> Man, holy chonglas. <laughs> chonglas. <laughs> Am I right? Your 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 Spanish is very good. It's better than Tito Ortiz's. Mm, what a compliment. <laughs> Yo, man, uh, shout out to uh, Hoist last night for uh, filling in for me. Yeah, he was a tremendous caller. Jeez, like, I was so confused. That guy could have had a lot of fun with Way. Man. <laughs> he, like, he stole you. He definitely had your um, kind of, like, opening down perfectly. Mm. It was almost as if uh, I called in or something disguised as someone else. Hmm. Huh. Are you, what do you think? Uh, are you call are you calling in to talk about uh, all out or Augusto Sakai getting stopped in the first <laughs> round? I thought he I thought he accounted for himself well against a, a shop worn over him. I'm sorry, I'm sure you didn't watch the fight. <laughs> no, no, I was watching this marathon for five hours tonight. <laughs> it felt like a UFC card. It this, did. Uh, it did. Have, it did have certain uh, certain uh, parallels to a long UFC card tonight. Yes. I mean, at least they didn't show the same Modelo commercial that they show all the time on the UFC shows. <laughs> did you see any of All Out? I did. I did. Uh, I was kind of disappointed. It was a bummer. Uh, I I thought the Matt Hardy thing was. was <laughs> I thought it was a, a work. Uh, I I thought they were pulling pulling the, the wool over my eyes, but uh, uh, that bump was serious. I don't even know why he's doing stunts like that anymore. It's uh, ridiculous. He's he's better. I mean. He's better. He should be. He should be better than that. We should be cognizant of who he is as, as a wrestler and and as a person to be doing, stunts like that off of scissor lifts, or was it a forklift? Is there a difference between a forklift and a scissor lift? Well, a scissor lift you can get it has that carriage, and the forklift has got the forks. I guess so, maybe it's a yeah. scissor lift. Yeah. But yeah, I I mean I think it was irresponsible. Is is Doc Sampson a rib on on the Incredible Hulk, or is that a real doctor? This is the this is the this is the doctor this that was name. Right, right there for uh for Jerry Lawler's deal. Yeah, he was the uh the WWE doctor for the longest time. So that's a real name and not like Cody being a fan of the Incredible Hulk and naming him after that. I, I think it's it is uh Michael Sampson is uh okay. his real name. <laughs> What's your real name? <laughs> Brandon Elijah uh from New Jersey. <laughs> I know you're not from New Jersey, but I, I I'm I still have to learn what the real name is. Hey, hey uh, how about uh how about my Flyers uh, dying in Game Seven today at the Scotia Bank? For, you know, I think that I think that's where all Philadelphia teams die at. The, the first the Raptors killing the Sixers and and ending the process, and and now the Islanders. <laughs> huh? But at any rate, uh, I thought all that was a dis- uh, I, I thought SmackDown was better than uh. <laughs> Than all out, to be quite honest, I, I kind of weird saying that. But, I'll uh, say, I'll say, there's certainly there was much more positivity coming out of the last two WWE pay per views than tonight's AEW show, and I don't know if people would have predicted what, that. What do you think? You think you think Tony uh, Tony Khan jinxed himself, uh, patting himself on the back with a uh, saying that oh we're be- we our show was better than SummerSlam or whatever he said he was being uh, WrestleMania. I, I WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I, I think he kind of jinxed himself, like like. Listen, the thing is, like, AEW pay-per-views have been can't miss. They've been great. But, you know, uh, to me, that that streak 
ended tonight. Like this was like you you can find like some some good things on this show. It's not like you, you pan the entire show, but as a whole, yeah, this one did not live up to past efforts. And you know, AEW and Takeover shows have been pretty damn consistent. But um, yeah, I think there were a lot of factors tonight, but it just uh, left people with. I think it, uh, uh, the highest you're going is a so-so show. Uh, that's all I got. Uh, I know it, it's 2 a.m. I must be lonely. We all, we all got to go to bed. Uh, love you guys. Bye. Good night, Brandon. Peace. See you, Brandon. Okay. Uh, anything else on your mind, John, before we close off? No. Um, that will wrap up the show. But I uh, do want to direct everyone to the long and winding Royal Road, uh, a metaphor for tonight's pay-per-view, uh, with W.H. Park and J.P. Houlihan. That's dropping on Sunday. Uh, to review Mitsuharu Masawa Jumbo Saruta from June of 1990. So do check that out. And Wei and I are going to be back Monday night with Rewind to Raw. We will catch up on all of the news uh, following tonight's pay-per-view and in the days to come. I'm sure there will be lots to discuss on Monday, Wei. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, uh, one more plug here for our September Patreon. Lots of bonus stuff coming your way. Uh, lots of bonus stuff already released over the past week. Uh, but on Tuesday, we're getting ready for our next edition of our Rocky Review Series, reviewing Rocky 2. So if you have any thoughts on that, leave your feedback in the days to come. Maybe even watch the film to get ready for the review. And then, uh, yeah, we've got our uh, G1 coverage coming up later in the week. And next week's Rewind Away is... The Great something... American Bash from 1990. Excellent. Well, so all of that coming up. Uh, thank you for being patrons, and thank you to people in the chat room right now. John Cena, Mister Up Next producer himself, uh, Eric Marcotte. I'm pretty sure I got that one right. Jared Taylor, Daniel Stack, uh, Hansi, of course. All the people who called in. Uh, Kenneth Trainer, don't be shy, Kenneth. You got to call in next time. He says he's too shy to call in. So come on. Anyway, Kenneth. yeah. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in live. Thank you, everybody. It's a very packed month here at Post Wrestling, but that is going to wrap things up for tonight's all-out post show. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll speak with you Monday night.